Welcome in, everybody. Welcome in to the Total Coverage Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kirk Morrison. And, oh, man, I cannot wait for this week five edition because we're going to be exploring the hows. Yes, how did teams win or how did teams lose? But Or how did certain players get wide open? How did certain players or defensive players have big performances? We'll talk about the hows and the whys behind the biggest results of the NFL in week number five. But always, you got to remember, you got to plug the Total Coverage Podcast. That's right. Wherever you find your podcast, whether it's Apple, whether it's through the SiriusXM app, whether it's anywhere you find your podcast, make sure you go out, rate, and subscribe. Give us your thoughts. Give us what you want to hear, what you want to talk about as well. Always, I'm at Kirk Morrison on Twitter, at Kirk Morrison on Instagram. And look, we may preview your team's games if you want. Just give me a shout. I will make sure that we do that. But this week, got a great show lined up for you. I got the Hall of Famer coming up, man. The Hall of Famer, John Randall, former Minnesota Viking, one of the great defensive linemen ever in the history of the National Football League. Get a chance to talk to him. Talk about maybe that Aaron Donald performance, right, in Washington. Four sacks. I want to get John's John Randall's thoughts on that. Uh, rookie, a rookie taking care of business in the National Football League in week number five. Um, I didn't bring his name up last week, but I'm bringing his name up this week. Can't wait for you guys to talk, uh, listen to what I have to say about a rookie who had an outstanding performance this past week in week five of the National Football League. And also... Derek Carr, man, <laughs> finally letting it loose, right? All right, we're going to dig into that as well as the Las Vegas Raiders pulling off an upset in Arrowhead. And probably one of the things that this uh, past weekend of the National Football League has dominated the headlines, uh, Dak Prescott, the injury to the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, What's next for the Dallas Cowboys? I got some thoughts on that as well. So take a seat, grab your popcorn, get ready to roll because it's time. <laughs> now, the Hall of Famer, none other than John Randall. And uh, John, so much that I want to get into it with you about just the game, the NFL, your playing career. But but to start, um, I know you're uh, very active in the former player capacity uh, with the Legends community. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with the Legends community and how you're still giving back to the game and some of your former players? Sure. Um, you know, the Legends community, which was formed about eight years ago, is about helping. One of the things, I put it this way, when we started out with it, we were looking at the transition from football to back, I say back to normal. And how I fell into it was I was playing, trying to play a lot of golf with players, with former players. And you would come across guys who were needing an assistant with talking about school, talking about uh, moving. Guys were talking about um, just finding a job. And that's how I kind of fell into what I started doing for the legend community, which is helping guys transition from football. And being in Minnesota, which is a place that most people don't, people think that guys don't want to transition to staying in or living in, in Minnesota. <laughs> right. But I was finding a few guys that were living here and was having difficulties just with the, like I said, the transition of just saying, you know what, I... My, I don't have that core of guys 
in a locker room anymore. I'm, I'm having to meet my neighbors. I'm having to make friends who are not football players. And that's how I kind of fell into doing what I'm doing now for the lazy community, which is helping the guys transition. Uh, if a guy's wanting to start a golf tournament, if a guy's thinking about uh, going back to school, if a guy wants to know about his benefits, if he's uh, wanting to know about his 401k, you know, just little things, five, the 529 plan. And that's kind of what the legend community is for some guys. And, and for some other guys, it's legend community. It's, it's a home to where you can come back to and you can talk to those guys who you played with or you played against. And you can just have that conversation about the game that we all love, which is football. As the uh, you're the central north director of the uh, Legends uh, community, uh, especially with the Minnesota Vikings, you mentioned talking to a lot of players uh, who are in that transition. But how, how much football talk do you have, John? Is it more about re talking about the old days or how much do you guys talk about the way the game is now compared to when you played the game? Well, if you think about it, there's over 20,000 former players that played the game. Correct. And I probably have ran into at least 10,000 guys. And the conversation goes about they, how they played against me, they played with me, they heard stories about me, they uh, saw me on television <laughs> and during the season. So the conversation I've had with guys, is it's all over the board. But you know what? That's one thing that I tell guys. I go, you know what? It's such a great game that we played. And the stories we get from it, the things we take from it and we take to our uh, everyday life, it may be if somebody said, hey, you know what, man, I saw you with the face paint and I thought you was the craziest guy ever. And and I thought the first words out of your mouth would be regulators or, hey, where's <laughs> face paint? So my conversations, guys, it's just depends on where it's at, has been all over the place. And before we get into some more deeper football questions, uh, how do guys, uh, former players, especially out there listening right here to the Total Coverage podcast, uh, if they want to get involved with the Legends community, how do they get involved? How do they contact either you or where do they sign up at? Well, you go to our website, which is NFL.Players.com. You can log into that, which is our portal, or you can just go to the NFL website. But a lot of times, for me, the guys I meet me are, are talking about it is from from former players, and I've had at least a thousand guys who have been referenced from other former players who've heard stories about what the legend community has done for these guys, how they have called me uh, about just almost anything about. The, the little perks that we have with like Kohan shoes, mm -hmm. uh, Avis car rental, just little things that guys want to know about. And I'm always telling guys, if you, if you don't call me, email me something, let me know how I can better help you. Mm. All right, now we got to get to the to the football stuff, man. We got to get okay. to the football stuff because I got to get. I don't get a chance to get a guy such as with with your expertise, the way that you played the game, John. And um, when you think of defensive linemen, I feel like you're on that short list, especially of defensive tackles and a guy who 
um, just would just <laughs> terrorize quarterbacks in the NFL. And so I, I think that's my first question for you is that when you think about the position, how were you able to uh, do such a tremendous job knowing that a lot of offensive lines would try to take your game away? Well, one of the things uh, for me when I got into got into playing, became a starter, uh, they always told me that I wasn't the ideal height. You had to be six five, six six, six seven, and I always held that little chip on my shoulder to where in practice and the in the game that I was going to go 110. percent So that was the first thing I always did when I played. I was always like playing like I was angry. But what I tried to do was always kind of had to get the offensive lineman on my terms. And so I would do a thing where I always was kind of I would look at the offensive lineman and think what he's thinking about me, which was he's a small guy, he's quick. So I just I'm gonna I'm gonna sit, I'm gonna sit on the offensive lineman, I'm gonna make him have to go left or right. But one of the first things that I, my first move was, was a bull rush. So uh -huh. I always bull rushed the offensive lineman. So when you bull rush him, that all of a sudden made him say, whoa, wait a minute. I can't look at him as just a small offensive, me, a small defensive lineman because that having that power to bull rush a guy, they don't think that a small defensive lineman can do that. So once you have kind of uh, set that in, in stone, then it kind of opens up the inside and the outside and using my hands more than at more than most defensive linemen were using them. It really helped me out so much because in a, in a lot of ways, it made the game easier because if you could take an offensive lineman's hands away, man, you really scare him to where he's all of a sudden becomes, I say impatient because uh -huh. he's all of a sudden keeping his hands inside. He doesn't really want to go out to, try to pass block you because he's just afraid that you're going to knock his hand down. And for me, I kind of did it in such a way with, it was kind of mean, but I had a smile on my face when I did it against these offensive linemen because I would laugh because I knew I, I had the advantage. And I went into the game thinking the whole time that I was going to take the advantage away from him. And then and having guys that, Say, well, in practice, we had a guy like Randall McDaniel who I would go against in practice. Mm. He was like 12 times all pro. Yeah. It really helped me out in practice to go against him because when I got in the game, the game was easier because I'm going against this guy. He was, Randall McDaniel was 6'4, but he ran like a 4'5'40. Four, four, uh, four, and I'm going against this guy in practice every day. And it just honed me up to, to where the game just became everything. He slowed down in the game. In practice, it was faster, but the game became slower. You know, John, one of the things that I just want to, when I hear you talk about it, uh, your height, you said, I mean, they, they listed you at 6'1", 270, okay? Yeah, that may right. be, <laughs> but now we know we always throw a half an inch Every on there. Inch so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, I, I'm not throwing you under the bus, man, but I'm no, saying no, no. I, it could be closer to six feet to 6'1". I don't know, John, but <laughs> well, hey, that's I get why it. We started going, that's why we started going six footers for life, because oh, we all grew up. We all grew Yeah, so, so, John, I bring that up because I look at, Aaron Donald, 
And I know you've yeah. probably heard that comparison a ton because of the both of you guys similar in height, the similar in the weight, and just how I will I would say you guys are so low to the ground in terms of just your posture and the way that you play the game. You guys play with great balance and technique. Um, Aaron Donald this past weekend had four sacks. And yeah. I see a lot of similarities in his game and to your game. But when you turn on the tape, what's the first thing that jumps out to you about Aaron Donald? When you look, you can just look at him and you can just see how strong he is. Right. That's one of the first thing you notice. But the other thing is, He's like a linebacker, defensive lineman with that outside linebacker speed. Mm. And like I said, when you when you have that strength and that power and that quickness, that offensive lineman, we, we've seen Aaron how he has, I call it, he has basically just jacked the offensive lineman up and just pulled him to the side. Right. And when you can do that, because offensive linemen are looking at you, they're, judge, they're judging you going, hey, you know what? Got about six one, he's about six two. He's got a little strength, he's a little speed, but man, I'm three hundred and thirty pounds. And <laughs> when I sit down, I got him. But when a guy can all of a sudden take his speed and use it, and all of a sudden catch it off his lineman with the hand and jerk him, man, for off his lineman, you go back and huddle, looking at everybody else, going, "Hey, did y'all see what just happened? Okay, now I'm gonna need y'all to help me out." I'm going to need you to slide towards him. And when they're trying to slide towards Aaron, that opens it up for somebody else. Because whenever you see, when you have one dominant defense lineman, Correct. there's always somebody else who's also dominant. Because we know when they when you focus on one person, the next person has to step up. And that's what I, what I watched from him. I had the great Keith Millard as well, was one of my defensive line coaches in the NFL. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though I was a linebacker, it was still, I had to hear Keith Millard and, and pop, pop, and whoop, whoop, you know, some of the, the terms yeah, yeah. he would use. And I know Keith was one of the great pass rushers in the league as well. And I, I know one thing that Keith would always say is that, and I think this is always, this holds true for just defensive line in general, we have to win our one-on-ones. We yeah. have to win our one-on-ones. Great players are going to get double-teamed. They're going to get triple-teamed. But just tell me about – because I see it with Aaron Donald when it happens. Same thing with you when it happens. When you're able to get that one-on-one, -on -one, what, what's the light bulb that goes off in your, when you finally get that one-on-one, -on -one, when you're not finally double-teamed or you've schemed it up right to where you got the one-on-one -on -one with the offensive lineman? What's going through your mind? Well, one of the first things, you actually – it's called you feel the pressure. Because uh -huh. you, you've been taught so many times, hey, you get that one-on-one, -on -one, you got to beat him. And I don't mean beat him in four seconds. You're counting your head, 1,001. Because I still watch, when I watch the game now, I still watch and I still say to myself, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. You need to be there, either be in that quarterback's face or be taking him down. So when you get that one-on-one, -on -one, you first you feel that pressure, but then all of a sudden, that's when I was, Telling you about you, you, you feel that like you have the advantage on that offensive lineman, and so I, it's kind of that, that that story where I used to hear the DBs talk about it, about being on that island. Mm -hmm. So when you got that, we got that. When you're one on one. You're going okay. I got him on his island now, and I'm gonna make him think I'm doing this, but I'm gonna take it away, 
And so for me, I always thought when I had him on that one-on-one, he was on that. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want. This is what I've been working all week for, all training camp, all offseason yeah. to get this moment because I know the 10 other guys on the team are, are counting on me to do my job. Because I played with a guy, Keith Millard, Chris yeah. Dolman, Henry Thomas. Dolan. And we always used to say, they, used to, they started <laughs> this thing saying, I know you guys are counting on me to do my job. This is what you brought me in for. And so we used to always talk about that. Do your job. Do what we brought you in for. And and when we had Tony Dungy as a defensive coordinator, that was Tony Dungy's philosophy was do your job. Your job isn't try to cover somebody. Your job is to get to the quarterback. Get to the quarterback. And I remember sometimes I didn't get there, I would come back and huddle. go, I didn't do my job. And the DBs would be like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm supposed, I'm trying to get there every play. Every one-on-one, I got to be in that quarterback's face because if I don't, I'm leaving my DBs on an island. And that's part of your responsibility of saying, you want to play in the National Football League? Yes. You want to big, be a big-time player? Yes. But big-time players make big-time plays and big-time games. So when you get to one-on-ones, that's what you got to do. Man, just hearing you name off some of those names of guys who I've watched uh, throughout my youth that got me to where I am today. Just the the, the techniques uh, that they used to use, just the defenses that you played for. Um, but I, I think one of the questions that I that is very interesting to me is because you mentioned those names and guys play specific spots and they never wanted to move. One of the things that I see, John, with Aaron Donald is that especially in last week's game versus uh, the Washington football team, he's able to line up at left end, right end, left defensive tackle, right defensive tackle, on a shade, on a three technique, on a five, mm-hmm. on a two. Like uh, he plays all up and down the defensive line. Was that something that you guys were able to do when you played, or is that more so now? a little bit different for Aaron and defensive players now that they're able to do that, uh, have a little more versatility from the position more so than maybe before. Yeah. I, I used to do that. I would, I would play left side, right side, left end, right end, because to me, all of a sudden you go in a game and defense, okay, I got I to gotta tell you like the defense line or like, we had a coach, James John John Turling, and John Turling used to look at it as that we were like uh, like uh, like cheetahs, kind of like <laughs> okay. cheetahs and lions. He goes, listen, and he would come out with these philosophies where it makes you just sit there and go, huh? I, I don't get that. But he would say, okay, guys, here's a scenario: we're out here all like cheetahs, and the quarterbacks are like gazelles. And he goes, one of he goes. But these offensive linemen are kind of like elephants. And some of these elephants, they're all banged up. They got bruised legs. And he goes, one of them is the weak link. And when we find out which one is the weak link, we all going to go after that one. Mm-hmm. Because that one right there is going to open it up. We can go to that one and keep getting sacked. And so that's where we used to do it. And all of a sudden, it was a challenge. Like, all of a sudden, somebody would get a, say, a couple of sacks in the game. 
And you go, hey, you know what? Hey, since you got a couple of sacks on him, why don't you just give me a present to come in there and get me one? You know how we are? You know? Hey, exactly. Let me get one. Okay. I'll give you a chance at it. So we used to do it in practice where we would go against somebody practice and like, you know what? Man, this guy's giving out Christmas gifts today. Y'all want some gifts? Well, come on, get you some. So we were, for me, uh, I, I learned it from a guy named Henry Thomas. He would go, hey, if you can rush inside and then go outside and rush, he goes, you may go to another team and they may need you to play defensive end. Can, can you play defensive end? So we just learned there was more opportunities. And so my last two years in Minnesota, we had we, we didn't have a defensive end. So all of a sudden, they were like, hey, can you play defensive end? I said, I can go out there for a third down. And, and you go out there and go, shh, I can sneak me a sack. So you get out there and get you one. So we, we, we did it a lot. I mean, I did it a lot. I know a lot of guys couldn't get the timing down. Because when you mm-hmm. play a defensive end versus defensive tackle, everything is timing. You know, you're taking a defensive end, it may be a three-step. And a defensive tackle is a one-step, then back inside and back out. So, for me, pass rushing was like, became an art. where I, I tried to do it as much as possible. I tried to learn it as much as possible. Like, what things we did in the... In the well, I say I did, but not a lot of guys didn't do that. But we would do it after the game was over. We would, as soon as the game was over, you run off the field, you shake some hands, you run off the field, you go back in the locker room, and you would write down what you saw the offensive lineman, what he was good at, what he was bad at. So you had, you had different fouls on guys because you knew you were going to play them again, uh-huh. but you may play against them on another team. So that's what I would do. And all of a sudden, you come back to that. So to me, it was, it was, like I said, it was like, like art because I wanted to, to do it as much as possible to where if I watch Reggie White do a, a hump move on some offensive lineman, I'm working that hump move the whole week, man. I saw Reggie huh. get two sacks, get this hump move. So I'm going to use this hump move. I saw, um, who was it? Um, say Dana Stubblefield use a move. I would use it. Russell Maryland used the move. I would use it. So mm-hmm. to me, I, I told guys, I was like, it was kind of like um, Ice Cube was talking about jacking for beats. I was jacking <laughs> for moves. I'm going to take your move. Hey, you don't mind if I borrow that. So, no. Oh, man. That, that's <laughs> Dana Stubblefield, guy who I watch. I love watching that. I got to make sure I tell all the, the listeners out there that 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 hunt move. The hunt oh, yeah. move by yeah by, by by Reggie White that that's a move that that I want people to Google that I I, yeah. I can't explain it to them John I want people who are listening so that if they understand what Reggie White used to do to people with that hunt move where he would yeah. make a three hundred you know plus pound man and with one forearm basic or you know one little forearm shiver can knock him off the, his feet. So yeah, I, I, I want to save that for the listeners to go out and Google that because I don't want to yeah. sell it short by trying to describe it. Hey, so you know, I so at the Pro Bowl, I would most people go to Pro Bowl. You know, you, you enjoy the, the the Hawaii, the, mm-hmm. the coconuts, the beach. I would go there and I would sit amongst the other pass rushers, like uh, 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 Derek Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, oh, Cortez Kennedy. And I would sit there and I would just ask 
asked him about eight. So like Clive Stewart, I took Reggie White to dinner one night and I said, hey, Reggie, tell me about this hump move. And he was, well, Johnny, you know, I was doing this and that. So I would sit there the whole time with dinner and learn about different moves and why they were using them to just help my repertoire. Because all of a sudden I get in the game and bam, the guy goes, man, I know you had a hump move. Oh, yeah, I got a hump move. <laughs> yeah, I got that hump yeah. move in there. You know, yeah, just, you just it, it was it was just like those notes that you took after the game. They took notes as well. <laughs> so yeah, they're like, yeah. you didn't you didn't have that move last year. Where right. did that you come from? Yeah, where did that come from? So for training camp for me it was like I'd be out in training camp. I'm trying to do something, and and Randall McDaniel going, "What are you trying to do? Don't you worry about it. You just do you. <laughs> do me." Oh, man, John, I swear, man, this has been a pleasure. Uh, trust me, for a guy who has loved your game uh, from when I was just a young pup, man, watching you and aspiring to be in the National Football League, but it was guys like you. And it wasn't just your game on the field. It was also the passion that you played with, John. You played with a great passion that no matter what, we knew we were going to get the intensity. That's why I'm kind of thinking about a guy like you would flourish in 2020 with no fans, no crowd, none of that. John Randall didn't need all of that. John Randall oh, was the <laughs> yeah, John Randall was the guy that was talking. He he was he was the crowd and the player at the same time. I know. I know I, thank you for that. First of all, and I used to tell guys all the time. They're like, "Hey man, it's like minus fifteen degrees out there. You gonna be all right, man? Hey, we're playing some football. We're trying to mm -hmm. get some sacks. I said we could do this in my backyard, his backyard. I go. This is why we play the game. This is so much fun. And yeah, I, I, I tell guys, I tell guys now, watch the game and one. Man, they calling holding on this. You grab just a little piece of a tray that's holding. I go, <laughs> man, they wouldn't call it that. Mm -mm, they would just be like, they wouldn't. <laughs> no. And it's a different game, but you know what though? It's a safer game for the guys. And that's one thing I appreciate, I appreciate that it's safer. And the guys are having the longevity. But you know what? They're still out there pass rushing. They're mm -hmm. still trying to make those moves, trying to get those sacks. And when I first got in the league, they, like I said, you have to be 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and you see the Aaron Donalds and these guys playing now. They're changing the game. And back then, no one thought interior linemen could get a rush. And now to see these interior guys getting a rush, getting to the quarterback, it's a great game, baby. It's a great game. <laughs> he is the uh, the the central uh, north director for the Legends community. Uh, that's just one of uh, his roles, as he's also still a Hall of Famer, will forever be a Hall of Famer in the NFL, one of the great Vikings to ever play the game, one of the best defensive tackles to ever play the game. I appreciate, again, the time, John. I appreciate it, man. And I uh, hope to catch up with you soon. we got to do this again. Yes, please do. Don't forget, players.info.com. Legend community, baby. Get you some. Hey, everybody. This is Fran Freshella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. The game of basketball has truly become a global game. Markovic buys it in to make it. Somehow it goes in. Each week, I talk with the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the game of basketball around the world. Real Madrid have stolen victory from the jaws of defeat. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts.
One of the great performances of week five that I just did not see coming was wide receiver, rookie wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Chase Claypool. And it's crazy to think that we were just talking about wide receivers in the episode four of the Total Coverage podcast with the Hall of Famer, James Lofton. And we were talking about another rookie wide receiver in Justin Jefferson. And it was something that I saw throughout the week. Uh, people were trying to rank right now, currently, uh, the wide rookie wide receiver class from what we've seen so far. Justin Jefferson was on that list. Clay, Chase Claypool was on that list too. And a couple of the guys, people wanted to see more of Henry Ruggs, the Jerry Judy, all that stuff. And I'm still saying, okay, I want to see just Chase Claypool. So it was weird to think that he was on my mind all week. And then all of a sudden he erupts for this huge monster game against the Philadelphia Eagles. First of all, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 4-0. And just wanted to just drop this nugget because in my research for the week, I, I, I had to double check this i had to reread it because my mind was just kind of blown because it's a historic franchise in the pittsburgh steelers yet they're four and oh for the first time since before i was born okay there haven't been four and oh since 1979 i'm like no wait wait let me just double check let me, i'll repeat that again the pittsburgh steelers haven't been four and oh since 1979 wow unbelievable and the reason why I'm bringing that up, because I look at whether where their offense has gone. Remember two years ago, it was Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and Ben Roethlisberger. And now we fast forward to where we're at currently right now. And you have a Ben Roethlisberger, a running attack that it, to me is, is, is still ever evolving with James Conner and, you know, still who all the guys who they have in there. But this wide receiving group has really taken off, whether it was Juju Smith-Schuster, whether it was uh, Deontay Johnson, whether it's um, James uh, Washington. And now you add in the rookie, Chase Claypool, who on the year now has 13 catches, 261 yards and four touchdowns. But it was more about what he did last week versus the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I, to me, they won this football game over the Eagles because of Chase Claypool. And the reason why is because when I first saw him on tape, you saw him like, wow, that doesn't look right. When I say doesn't look right, he's six foot four, 238 pounds. He's not supposed to be able to move like that. But yet he moves as if he is much smaller than what his size and what he's listed at. And you can tell they have something special in him because of the different ways that they tried to get him the football. It was through a reverse, a screen, an out route, a slant route, a deep nine, a post, an inside slant, a toss, a bang eight. Oh, and by the way, he was the number three receiver in an empty set, which is three by two, right? When you have an empty set, you have to be three on one side, two on the other. He was the inside guy, the number three guy. And that was actually the play that got him matched up on a linebacker. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger saw that and that play. He looked at the linebacker, looked at Chase Claypool, and it was like stealing candy from a baby. It was just way too easy. Ball gets right behind, ball snap. Claypool makes one move. He gets behind the linebacker. Oh, and by the way, there was no safety in the middle of the field, which was an easy throw for Roethlisberger over the top of the linebacker. Claypool goes for a touchdown. But the reason why I felt that the, the Philadelphia Eagles didn't really have an answer, because I think Chase, Chase Claypool is showing his versatility. And the NFL now will have to catch up to this. 
I've talked about DK Metcalf plenty on this total coverage podcast and how he is very similar to what I'm seeing from Chase Claypool, right? That you have guys and you're trying to figure out what are they not good at? And you're just like, man, it's pretty difficult. They're fast. They're strong. They're athletic. Oh, and they're great blockers as well. And so now you're trying to figure out, well, how do we stop them? What do we, what do we take away? Well, we're not going to let them beat us deep. Well, if you, then if you don't let them beat you deep, they can catch the underneath route and they can make a guy miss and it's still they can beat you. Well, you know what? Let's just press them at the line of scrimmage. Well, the strength that these guys have now playing at the line of scrimmage, sometimes they can just throw that bump and run out the way and still find a way to get open deep down the field. Oh, well, let's just try to do let, let's double cover. Well, now if you're double covering that guy, that means you're going to leave somebody else one-on-one. And look, the Steelers wide receiving group, one of the reasons why that they beat the the Philadelphia Eagles is again, because if you try to double team one, you're going to leave one-on-one coverage for Juju Smith-Schuster, who to me is still one of the good young wide receivers in the league. He had some nice catches last week. So this is just what last week's game, I think, did for Pittsburgh and for Chase Claypool is that now it put defensive coordinators in the NFL, it it put them, I think now in a precarious position because now you have to worry about where is number 11 at on the field? Yeah, number 11, Claypool, where is he lined up at? Because he got the ball in so many different ways, right? He, on the outside, he went against the number one corner for the Philadelphia Eagles and, and Darius Slay. He beat him, okay? Then he also had an inside slant route. Same thing, inside slant on a corner, he beat him. And so what all the different ways that they're finding plays to get him the football, it was crazy to think that he had three touchdowns receiving, one touchdown rushing, and then he also had to have one touchdown called back uh, because they said he pushed off offensive pass interference. So that's just going to show you that I think the Pittsburgh Steelers realize that they have a weapon with the second round draft choice in Chase Claypool. That's how winning is done. The Las Vegas Raiders did something that no one expected last week. They went to Kansas City and they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm lucky enough to say that I've been a Raider and I've been uh, and I've won uh, multiple times in Kansas City. It's a great place to when you win a game to silence the crowd and how loud they can be. And even with limited fans right now, currently, uh, it's still to silence those that crowd is uh, an unbelievable feeling. But this game was really all about Derek Carr and Derek Carr has come under under a ton of scrutiny as the quarterback for the Raiders. Right. Because. A lot of people felt that he he could play better. He should be better. And Derek Carr has listened. He's heard. And so I think this was a performance by Derek that hopefully can kind of quiet the the critiques that he's been getting. He was 300, had threw for 337 yards and three touchdowns. But it it wasn't about, um, for me, with Derek, it it wasn't about the, the touchdown, um, the touchdowns that he threw. It was to me of a guy who finally just started letting the ball just let it go. I think one of my criticisms with Derek Carr is that he tends to check the ball down too much. Sometimes he goes with the safer pass instead of taking chances when he has the weapons deep down the field. 
a lot of things that the Raiders are doing formationally, I'm seeing with now Henry Ruggs back in the lineup is that they're still going with their 12 personnel, which to me, the Raiders, that's their, that that's maybe their bread and butter this year. Yeah, you usually normally go to a third, I mean, to a 11 personnel when it comes to third down, which is more primarily a passing down. 13, I mean, uh, 11, which is one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. But it seems to me their base package of 12 personnel, which is two tight ends, one running back, two wide receivers, it, it seems to be the one that I think is going to give defensive uh, defenses fits right now. It really is. And I'm just putting my defensive coordinator hat on and watching what the Raiders are able to do is because they form basically 11 personnel sets, but they're using 12 personnel, if that makes sense. So the same personnel sets that, I mean, same, you know, formations and plays that you will get out of 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers on the field, they're getting the same thing, but with two tight ends. And it's forcing defense to have to figure it out because it's, do I bring in my nickel package? Do I bring in, uh, or do I keep multiple linebackers on the field? I mean, what should I do? Because they have a great threat of running the ball. Their two tight ends are Jason Witten, who to me, I, I joke, but it's he's I, I think he's a left tackle or an extension of the left tackle um, because he's helping out that offensive line. He'll, he'll catch one or two passes, maybe a game. But let's be honest, he's there to block and he's been great for Derek Carr because He's going to be uh, the guy who's going to be in the game for the max protection, which is what you're what you saw throughout the game. His max protection help gives a guy like Derek Carr that extra bit of time to get the ball down the field. Then you have Darren Walder, the tight end who we've seen before outside of New England. People have not been able to stop Darren Walder. Right. I thought New England would have a blueprint. They did, but the NFL, other teams <laughs> don't know how to follow the New England blueprint. And that's the reason why they're the other teams. But it was certain situations where I looked at um, Derek Carr had the formation of a three by one, basically three receivers on one side or three eligible receivers on one side. And then a receiver on opposite Henry Ruggs motion to form a two by two. And then he came back to uh, a situation in, in which he was, you know, basically back to the three by one. <laughs> and at the snap, all three wide receivers dispersed and Henry Ruggs, because of the way of the disbursement of the routes, got one on one. And when he's one on one, there's just not a lot of defensive backs that can cover him. It really isn't. I mean, three by one with three guys on one side, but they were bunched up. Bunches are always hard because it's you have to distribute. And as a defensive player, the distribution has to be correct. But what happened was Darren Waller was in that bunch. And when Darren Waller came out, you had two guys covering 83, which is Waller, one on one for rugs. And it turned into a track meet that Kansas City Chiefs just <laughs> they weren't going to win that one on defense. Offense, they, they got some track runners on offense, right? We know about Tyreek Hill, McCole Harmon. That's great. But defensively, they don't have those same kind of cheetahs <laughs> like they do on offense. And the Raiders now have one in Henry Ruggs. And it was similar to another play later in the game as well. Nelson Aguilar, right? We talked about Ruggs, but Aguilar also is finding that, look, this is the second week in a row that Derek Carr has hit him on a deep pass. Now, I know the one the week before uh, was a late touchdown, but this one was more so 
in the game where Nelson Aguilar again is on uh, is kind of just a, a backside guy finding his way that no one is on him one on one. It's Nelson Aguilar just running deep and Derek Carr buying time because of the max protection look with with Jason Witten getting a little bit more time and then boom touchdown. So outstanding job by Derek Carr and his new weapons deep down the field. It's a new confidence that I've seen from Derek Carr. And I think it'll be different now for the Raiders and how they call plays. It'll be give them more confidence to throw the ball deep down the field. And not to mention, hey, you still have Josh Jacobs in that running game, which I think will be a benefit from what's going on now. With teams having to play deeper coverage, you may see less guys in the box, and now you may see more of a guy like Josh Jacobs taking advantage of that in the running game. This is how I went. Probably one of the, the the hardest things that I had to see from week five was Dak Prescott's injury. And I think just because you look at a guy who has been not only the ultimate teammate, the perfect teammate, a guy who you actually are rooting for, and to see that injury, you hope for a speedy recovery, and I think he will recover. But for the Dallas Cowboys, what will life be without Dak Prescott? And there was a small sample size that I saw when Dak went out of the game, right midway through the third quarter. Andy Dalton was a backup that a lot of people kind of scratched their head. Why Andy for a backup? And it's, you never know if you need a backup until you actually need one. That's the story of the NFL. And right now, the Dallas Cowboys, who still have hopes of winning a division, who have hopes of making the playoffs and and, and and basically making some noise with the roster that they felt is built that they can possibly win a Super Bowl, that is still intact, in right? The, the Cowboys team is still intact because of Andy Dalton, right? Yeah, unfortunate what happened to Dak Prescott, but it's the NFL. You move on. You can't cry over spilled milk. I learned that from my veterans when I was a rookie. You have to move forward. You move past it and you, you, you pray for your guy, but you got to go out there and play. And so now I look at the Dallas Cowboys offense and I think that nothing much truly will change with what they're doing. I look at Andy Dalton and what he was able to do and especially that final drive, that game winning drive, or you can say the final two drives. Yeah, everyone's going to talk about the uh, the Cowboys, the cliche of they're going to have to run the football. It's going to go through Zeke. Yeah, we get that. But Andy Dalton's going to have to make some plays as well. But I trust Andy Dalton. I trust that he will utilize the players that are around him. I trust that he will utilize C.D. Lamb. He will utilize Michael Gallup. He will utilize Amari Cooper. He doesn't have to make the throw all by himself. He doesn't have to win the game with one throw, even though last week um, I, I thought he was able to do that. He made a couple of amazing throws, especially one on the run, getting out of the pocket. He found Michael Gallup, who had one spectacular catch and then came, I mean, dragging his feet. And then just the confidence to go back to him on a, on a deep route when they got the one on one on the outside. Andy Dalton again, hooking up with Michael Gallup, they kick a game-winning field goal. And I think that final drive last week for the Cowboys was just not – it, it goes twofold. Number one, you're you're hurting for your guy Dak, and you're like, wow. But then that final drive by Andy Dalton and the Cowboys to kick a game-winning field goal after what had – everything that happened in the game was a sense of relief, was a sense of exhale, that, yeah, things – are bad, but they could be worse. But we still have a chance to win games. We are not out of the water. 
And that's what I saw from Andy Dalton taking over at quarterback last week. The Cowboys will be fine. Their offense will be very similar to what they had with Dak Prescott. Maybe less design runs, but we'll see, I think, a little bit more from the pocket. And they'll still have Zeke Elliott. So you don't look much from the Dallas Cowboys. I think they're almost the steal. This is the same team. It's just going to look a little bit different from the guy calling the shots from under center. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode number five of the Total Coverage Podcast. Always, you got to go subscribe where you find your podcast. It's Apple Podcasts. You can go to the SiriusXM app, download the Total Coverage Podcast from their podcast section. Wherever you find podcasts, just make sure you type in Total Coverage. That's where I want you to go. Rate, subscribe. And again, this is always interactive. At Kirk Morrison on Twitter, at Kirk Morrison on Instagram. Give me your thoughts uh, give me your love as well. Wherever you want me to go, I take this each and every week, this drive with you. And I appreciate you guys riding with me along this great ride. So for myself, as we get ready for week number six already in the National Football League, I can't wait to break down some more film, break down some more performances, and hopefully hear from you as well. All right. See y'all next week. Good football, y'all.